The Voice of Reason Broadcast Network presents The Sunik Journal with Dr. Tom Sunik. Dr. Tomislav Sunik is an author and translator, as well as a former professor and Croatian diplomat. Visit his website for interviews, books, essays, and more at tomsunik.info. And now here's your host, Tom Sunik. Yes, good evening, ladies and gentlemen. This is your host, Tom Sunik, as usual. Welcome back to my show. I'm glad to introduce you to an old friend of mine whom I haven't seen for a long period of time, and uh, this is the gentleman, Charles Carlson, who has a very interesting website, and I I dare say he is quite an expert on Christian Zionism. Uh, Charles, welcome back to my show. Thanks for being here. Thank you so much, Tom. Happy to be here. Charles, long time now see you indeed, and I'm very happy to have you here. Look, when was it, like 10 years ago when I last saw you? And I guess, I think we were at the meeting that was organized by Mark Weber at the IHR, if I'm correct, and you had a very nice speech, if I'm correct. Pardon me if I'm not correct. I, I, I've forgotten a little bit. It's a shame. We should have probably been I more was off. there, and uh, yeah, but that, I'm not sure that was where, in, in any case, it's good to be back. Um, it was in Southern California, that's for sure. Okay, well, anyway, Charles, before we start talking about your uh, important website, uh, and I was also published on your website, and why don't you just tell us a few words about yourself? Well, okay, I'm, uh, uh, I'm a former businessman and an activist, I guess, in a number of things. Uh, however, in the area of Christian Zionism, which we concentrate on now. I became committed to that in about 2003. In 2003, I went during during, during Intifada II uh, in the spring. I went to uh, uh, Gaza, and I was lucky enough to get in. It was uh, surprising that I got in. It was almost miraculous. How did you get there? I mean, in the first place, you got there with the well, American uh, passport. I mean, you flew over into Tel Aviv. I mean, after all, you had to enter the uh, Israeli jurisdiction. Can you explain us a little bit? How did you how did you manage to get there in the first place? Well, I was lucky. Uh, instead of going in through Tel Aviv, which probably wouldn't have I wouldn't have got in. I, I don't suppose. Uh, I, I I went to Egypt and I took an Egyptian tour with my wife and I sent her home. And I got my Egyptian guide to drive me across the Sinai over to Alat. Uh, that's the Israeli town across from Taba. There's been a, a bombing there and so on. But anyway, this is down in the Red Sea. And I kind of walked in as a fisherman and, and just uh, wandered on through, and nobody paid any attention. And uh, I took public transportation. I rode a, a Israeli bus. And to my, by the way, to my great surprise, when I got on that bus, I found it was full of soldiers. Oh. And one of those buses that took that exact line uh, has been blown up. It was attacked by uh, Egyptians within the last year, going right up that line, driving up all the way from the Red Sea uh, to Tel Aviv. And those buses were just crammed with soldiers, some of them standing up in the aisles carrying their weapons, 
And uh, it, it was a revelation to me because I wondered, why do the Palestinians bomb these buses all the time? The Israelis always tell us that uh, the Palestinians are out to kill women and children. And I always wonder, why do, they, why do they get on buses and bomb these things, even some of them wearing suicide vests? The second I got on that bus in a lot, I knew exactly why, because uh, there it was, full of Israeli soldiers, literally dozens of them riding that mm. bus with their weapons. Now, uh, anyway, okay, I, Charles, Charles, hold there for a second, but how did you cross the border? I mean, this is something. I mean, you had the American not, passport, right? And how did you, I mean, I, did somebody check passport, your passport? Sure. Yeah, I had a passport, and I just went on in, and it's a resort. Uh, there's a wow. resort there. There's a resort town, and there are many, many people that come there. Arabs come and go. There's gambling all over the place. Egyptians uh, come there, and, uh, and and the Israelis come out there to gamble in uh, in the uh, in the Arab uh, in the, in the Egyptian town. Uh, it's, uh, so it was nothing to it. I just got in a public bus, went to Tel Aviv, got another bus, went to Gaza, and. Uh, and I walked in, and uh, no one stopped me. They, uh, there wasn't anybody else going in. There was nobody coming out. You couldn't come in or go out, but uh, for some reason, uh, lone American. I just told them I was visiting American citizen missionaries who lived in uh, lived in uh, Gaza, and uh, and I went. So uh, it was during the bombing. They bombed there every day. Uh, the planes came over in the daytime. Uh, the helicopters came at night. And they simply murdered uh, those people at, uh, systematically at some place in Gaza every almost around the clock. Uh, and uh, so I came home from that and decided that uh, the churches of America were the problem, that they were not telling the truth about what was going on there. And uh, particularly they were supporting every, all of Israel's moves. And uh, I, being a member of a, a Baptist deacon, I realized that uh, that my own church uh, was very much at fault. They had been protecting the Pal the Israelis. They, they they took the position that the Palestinians had no right to even live in Gaza or any place else. Uh, and uh, I just began to realize that the focus of the problem was on a huge part of the American population that have later on become identified as Christian Zionists. That word wasn't really used until 2003, but uh, it's become a popular word now, a popular way of referring to those Christians in America who are committed to the state of Israel to the point where they're willing to turn their backs on the native people who live there. And uh, so we started the movement, we called it Project Straight Gate, it's a biblical term, and it was designed to try to change America's churches and to educate the, the kind of churches that I had uh, raised my family in, Tom, uh -huh. and where I'd uh, spent 20, 25 years of my life attending the evangelical dispensational uh, churches. These are all Christian evangelical terms. Uh, but uh, this term Christian Zionism has come along since then, and, and part of the reason for, for that is that we started to call these churches Christian Zionists because they were Zionists. They were basically practicing, they were as radically Zionist as any Israel, Israeli who lives outside of the gates of Gaza. And uh, that's what our effort became focused at that. We've, we, we've uh, addressed ourselves to the idea of trying to change 
that segment of American churchgoers who are, whether they know it or not, Christian Zionists. Okay. And, and Charles, I also we'll, want to say, we'll, me. Charles, we'll come to that in a sec. I was just wondering, okay. when you were in Gaza, did you ever have a chance to talk to people, to the locals over there? Did you sound them out? Did you just did you engage in any discussion with them? And which year I, was it? In? It was, it was uh, the spring of 2003, about a year after 9-11, and, okay. uh, in March. And, uh, uh, yes, uh, I, I, I was very lucky. There were actually Christian missionaries living in Gaza who I'd heard about by an accident, by a fluke, and I'd uh, arranged this contact. And they were actually Baptists who went to a Baptist church and uh, Tom, their very church, the Southern Baptist Church that I was a member of, a deacon in a southern, big Southern Baptist church, their very church had tried to withdraw them from, from, from Gaza. They said, you can't stay here anymore. We're not going to sponsor you anymore. We're not, we, it's too dangerous. You can't stay. And these two or three men and women had simply refused to go. They said, no, this is our commitment. Uh, we love these people. And uh, for we're staying. So they were sort of persona non grata in the Baptist church. And uh, there is a Baptist church right there in Gaza City. And uh, so I was able to communicate with all kinds of people there, Christian people, Muslim people. I walked the streets freely all by myself, uh, somewhat nervously, as you can imagine, because the bombs were falling at night. And, uh, you know, you wondered... The American markings were on these bombs. We had, I had a little boy bring me a hunk of shrapnel and try to explain to me that it was American shrapnel. So it was kind of nervous, but I, I didn't have a problem. I went to the, the Internet cafes. The kids flocked around me. We looked at the Internet together, and uh, I talked to ordinary working people on the streets uh, all by myself. Have you been there ever since? This was in 2003, right? It was like two yeah. years after this uh, 7-11 thing. And, uh, have you yeah. been in touch with those people, with those locals ever since? We've tried, and uh, little by little, of course, we've tended to lose contact with them. Uh, it was, they were very sensitive to, uh, you know, uh, to, well, to being assassinated, really. Uh, they were very nervous about their names and, and, and faces. Uh, outside, they didn't want to have have anything said about them outside because they were subject to being singled out there. Uh, and uh, sadly, uh, little by little, we've sort of lost contact with most of them, so that we don't have uh, we don't know what's happened to those people. Mm -hmm. Is this how your website, which is quite prominent, we hold these truths? Is this how it originate originate? Or because most of it, by and large, you know, in terms of content, is is devoted to the Palestinian. Well, not just not only to the Palestinian issue, but also to those other religious and political issues. And because and, I see it's pretty well entertained, so I understand uh, that uh, that this is like the the main topic uh, on on the website. Could you just tell us a few words about the the genesis of this? Uh, we hold these truths. Why did you choose in the first place this, uh, how can I say, constitutional name, if I can put it that way, of the way of your website? Well, well we, like most Americans, we were concerned about our own situation in America, we, American, the decline of American civilization. We were concerned about the the the, the, uh, 
when we started uh, several years before, we were very concerned about typical American issues, Tom, political issues even. Uh, we were concerned about pro-life. We're concerned about a lot of things. And so we, we picked this topic. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, endowed by the creator, right to life, and so on. And that's the way we began. And uh, our, our uh, movement toward Christians, toward focusing on Christian Zionism, came out of, of, out of a need, which we saw. We simply saw that nobody else was doing it, and that it was the secret, the great secret in our country was who is it that's supporting this totalitarian regime in Israel that is imprisoning a million and a half people inside of the Gaza Strip, literally in a prison that you have a fence around, even then, then uh, and today. Nobody comes, nobody goes. They're, they're, they're in there uh, totally imprisoned. And, of course, the rest of Palestine isn't much better. It's mm-hmm. just that you have multiple little prisons all penned in by checkpoints. And uh, so the genesis of it was that we, uh, we gravitated to this idea that we've got to correct our churches because we could, we be, as we began to understand our own problem here in this country, we realized that um, approximately 35% of the voters in our country could be identified as Christian Zionists. That's why when you have the Republican candidates, Santorum, Romney, Gingrich, stand up there, the first thing they say when they're asked is that they absolutely support the rights of the state of Israel without qualification, and that uh, if there's conflict with the Palestinians, the Palestinians do not have any right to be there. They are usurpers who come there from the desert, or whatever whatever language they want to give. The reason for this is that these candidates like Romney all know that there's 35% of the vote that they're looking for that identifies first and foremost with the state of Israel. So you have a sect in our country. We now call it a cult, Mm -hmm. uh, the cult of Christian Zionism that has left Christianity behind and has taken up essentially a new religion, new 100 years ago only, and that religion has basically placed a political state on the throne where God should be, so that Israel, in the minds of these people, actually is almost equal to Jesus. It's Jesus on the throne, but Israel right beside Jesus. And mm-hmm. when it comes, when push comes down to shove, they find a way to justify Israel first, because, mm-hmm. of course, of the propaganda and the pressure that's put on them from all around. So uh, this is why, Tom, we ended up uh, sort of shifting gradually our emphasis to where we've said, yes, Gaza is an important thing. It's near to my heart. I want to do what I can in my life for the people of Gaza. But the best way I can do that is by correcting the American church to where the American church uh, respects the life of the people who live in Gaza. Oh, you've been quite active for almost 20 years with your website and with spreading out this message. Just for the starters, uh, if you do not mind, Charles, how would you define, look, uh, this phenomenon of Christian Zionism? This is something, I don't want to say typical for the United States, but in Europe, you barely hear about this. I, I, I should almost call it oxymoron, like Christian and Zionism. These are two opposing words, two opposing concepts. 
Now, how would you just for a starter, for some of my younger listeners, how would you explain that within the framework of politics and religion? Let's just focus on this, uh, uh, I don't know if you want to call it oxymoron or the compound noun or two words together, Christian Zionism. How is it? How would you explain it? Okay, you've hit right on the root of it, and it's the most important thing we teach. And if you cannot define something, you will never overcome it. And as a matter of fact, you probably shouldn't. <laughs> uh, and what you've said about Christian Zionism being an oxymoron is absolutely true. The term is an insulting term. And most of the people who are Christian Zionists would never admit they are. Uh, the term, a more common term that your listeners might be familiar with would be Judeo-Christianity. You hear that said all the time. You hear it in church. You hear it, in, of course, from the Israelis. You hear it from uh, politicians. Uh, Judeo-Christianity implies that Judaism and Christianity are hand-in-glove. They're part of sort of co-religions. Uh, this, uh, uh, this movement started out calling itself Christian fundamentalism. Well, and then later it chose the word evangelicalism. So you think of all these terms, and there are others too, as, as all sort of co-terms to what Christian Zionism might better be described as. Um, and uh, it all started about 100 years ago, and it started by uh, people who were biblical scholars who sort of adopted a new kind of Christianity that involved a, a preoccupation uh, a, a preoccupation with the coming return, which they thought would happen any day, of Jesus Christ to the earth in a cloud of uh, fury in which he would initiate a giant war. And this would take place right in Palestine, in Israel. And there there would be the battle of all the people. And they even imagined that the Russian army would come there and participate in this battle. Well, that idea... Uh, sometimes referred to as Christian uh, evangelicalism or dispensationalism. Don't mm -hmm. try to remember all these words, but when you hear them, they're all synonyms for what we uh, have come to call the oxymoron that you described of Christian Zionism. Now, the important thing is the definition, and it's very, very simple, and it works. It's almost a foolproof definition, and we arrived at it pretty much ourselves, and from our work, it's now become pretty much accepted. Christian Zionism, uh, or all the, other all the other synonyms for it, can be defined as the belief that the political state of Israel that exists today is the fulfillment of prophecies in the old Bible. It's the idea that this political state was prophesied in the Bible and that that's come to fruition today and that that's the start of something that's going to continue on in history. Uh, now, we say that definition is absolutely an error, uh, or, or let us say this, it is an oxymoron because the fulfillment of the old Bible uh, to Christians, to all Christian churches, be they Catholic or whatever they call themselves, Methodist, Protestant, whatever, mm -hmm. The fulfillment of the Old Testament was the coming of a Messiah called Jesus Christ. And, of course, the Israeli, or the, the 
the uh, Judeans of his day that walked the earth when Jesus was there rejected Jesus and said, no, he wasn't the Messiah, he didn't fit. And uh, they ignored him, rejected him, uh, crucified him, or, or talked the Romans into crucifying him, if, you, if you'd rather. And uh, so the fulfillment of the Old Testament was the coming of Jesus Christ. This is the universal, one and only belief in common that all Christians do have. If you believe that, that, that by definition is, is, uh, is Christianity. If you believe that somebody, somebody else is the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecy, then we say, and this is we hold these truths saying this, Chuck Carlson saying this, we say that you are engaged in an occult activity that is completely outside of Christianity and has left out the most important part of what Christianity is. The essence of Christianity is the coming of Jesus Christ as the fulfillment of the prophecy made to somebody called Abraham or Abram back thousands and thousands of years ago, we think. So definition, to repeat, Tom, not, not to beat it to death, but I want your listeners to remember this one thing. If they don't remember anything else that I say, you can, if you meet a person and you think they, 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 they're, 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 you want to know, for whatever reason, what they believe, ask them, do you believe that the present-day political state of Israel is the fulfillment of biblical prophecy? Question mark. Mm-hmm. And wait for the response. If you're a guest or if you're a listener or somebody calls you, in a, if somebody you meet in the church, if they shake their head and say they don't know or they don't think so, then probably they're not infected by Christian Zionism. But if they quickly respond, oh, yes, of course, of course. This is the standard answer that is in common with all Christian Zionists. And, and we use this as a practical guide all the time. We talk to people about how to deal with their own family who's wrapped up in Christian Zionism. Uh, we, we talk to pastors and churches. And uh, our organization has taken some very direct acts. We've... Uh, we've we've taken as being messengers to churches that are hostile to us, and uh, and how we decide if they're hostile church and deserve to have a messenger uh, come and visit them is we ask them that question: Do you do you teach here that uh, the state of Israel is is the fulfillment of biblical prophecy? And they say, Oh, of course, of course it is. Then we know they're Christian Zionists. Period. Then yeah, well, I mean, there are quite a few of interesting uh, uh, answers you got, but I also have some interesting questions for you. Now, okay. we are talking about those terms, those vocables, or so those concepts that uh, we have just mentioned. Where does this word, where does this uh, this compound noun neocon fit in? Uh, can you tell us more about that? Is it also a synonym, or could it also be a synonym in a specific framework of, let's say, Washington, D.C., for somebody, for a polite and intellectual Christian Zionist who certainly doesn't call himself a neocon, but who, sir, but who does fit into this category of a neoconservatism? How would you sure, actually... Well, a, lot of Christ, a lot of Christian Zionists are neocons. Or Can you make a distinction, some, first a semantic distinction, and then some conceptual distinction? I would like to discuss that with you a little bit. Okay. Well, most of the neocons, of course, are, are Zionists. Uh-huh. Uh, the, the big names are basically Zionist names. Uh, they're Jewish Zionists, of course, a lot of them. Uh, we also so have some Catholics like Jean Kirkpatrick, 
I mean, we call her, but, you know, Jinka, and then this guy, Robert Novak, he's also a Catholic, but he's very much of a neocon. Very good. And, and that, that would almost put them in that camp, because you, if you asked them what their, what their religious belief was, they probably would, would say, well, I either don't have one, or, uh, or if they did have a religious belief, certainly Israel would be tied up in it. Uh-huh. Uh, so the, 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 the concept you hit upon is, is very clear. I, I think neoconservatism is completely wrapped up in Zionism, and the only question would be, does the person who says he is, uh, the, who admits to that, uh, would, he, would he be a Christian at all, or would he claim to be a Christian or not? Uh, just, just for the distinction of it, uh, you might wonder, uh, what, how do we refer to ourselves? Well, we, we, we have people of all different religions and, and beliefs in us, and we, uh, they're interested and we hold these truths. And they're not all Christians by any means, but we tend to call ourselves Christ followers because that was what the early people that followed Christ called themselves. And so we, we kind of shy away from the term Christianity before because it has been so corrupted by Christian Zionism that it's sometimes uncomfortable to describe yourself as a Christian in America. Okay, well, we'll just think... This is so interesting, uh, Charles, and if you don't mind, we'll, we'll, we'll just take a little, little break, and we'll continue with this fascinating discussion right after that. Thank you. Right. We'll be right back with the Sunic Journal. Listening to the Voice of Reason Broadcast Network, ReasonRadioNetwork.com. Well, today the Senate held a hearing to address what the U.S. views as worldwide threats. From the rising power of China to cyber war concerns to Iran's nuclear program, the U.S. is finding much to fear these days. It was once al-Qaeda considered to be America's top threat, but today it seems Iran is what scares the U.S. the most. This despite Iran and even top U.S. military leaders coming out and saying the country is not building a nuclear bomb. So what is behind all this fear-mongering going on today? Well, Ray McGovern, former CIA analyst, joins me now. Welcome to the show, Ray. Um, so the number one fear in the U.S. today seems to be Iran. Um, you know, from our government leaders to the GOP presidential candidates, we're seeing these debates. It's almost like a competition of who can be tougher <laughs> against Iran. Um, so, I mean, do you think that these fears are justified? They're not. It's a synthetic stoking of fear. Uh, you use the word, word synthetic, yeah, meaning it's very, uh, they're made it's up, elaborated. It's uh, manufactured. If you look at the polls, 70% of the American people believe that Iran already has a nuclear weapon. That's exactly the same percentage 
of people in 2002 who were persuaded by what I call the fawning corporate media to believe that Saddam Hussein was working on a nuclear weapon. It's bizarre. What do the defense ministers of America and Israel say? They say, as Panetta asked himself on Face the Nation, uh, are the Iranians working on a nuclear weapon? No. What does Ehud Barak say in Israel, his counter counterpart? He says, uh, you know, if the uh, Iranians were working on a nuclear weapon, they would have to kick out the UN inspectors. We would know that, and they don't want that at all. They are not working on a nuclear weapon. They have not yet decided to do so. So the facts are that the two defense ministers, both intelligence agencies say, the way they say it is they have not yet decided to do nu nuclear weapon. Well, that means that, they're, I mean, simple English means they're not working on a nuclear weapon. Now, uh, uh, Clapper, uh, General, or former General Clapper, who's the head of national intelligence, and Petraeus, they, they almost wore out the subjunctive mood. You know, it was always, if the Iranians decide to go for a nuclear weapon, if they choose to do so, you know, it's, it's like going to war in the subjunctive mood, and that's precisely what I was criticized for, for saying uh, we, we did 10 years, it's exactly 10 years ago before Iraq, going to war on an if, on a contrived synthetic if. I've never seen the like of it. Now, now, you said earlier, 70% of Americans believe Iran... And now let's return to the Sunic Journal. Brought to you by the Voice of Reason Broadcast Network. ReasonRadioNetwork.com Uh, yes, uh, Charles, I was just going to ask you, we just need some more clarification about Christianity and Zionism. It seems to me what we are talking about, let's call it a cult or a sect, probably it's a little bit pejorative, you know, to call Christian Zionism a cult or a sect, but as a matter of fact, as you rightly put it, probably it is. And I was just wondering, uh, it seems to me that Christian Zionism, from a psychological point of view, but also from a religious point of view, sort of intend to be more Jews than the Jews themselves, that they want to be hyper-Jews, so to speak. And this is at least what I get from, from, from reading your, your prose on the We Hold These Truths. Could you elaborate that on that a little bit? Because this is something very peculiar in the Western civilization, that we have people who are basically white Christians, and yet at the same time, are so almost obsessed with this uh, millenarian type of a philosophy, with this pro-Jewishness, which almost verges on the grotesque, on the, in my view. Uh, I can't, could not say it better. It, does, it is grotesque, and, and it's, uh, it's, a, it's a horrible abuse of Christianity. One example is that almost all of the churches that would identify uh, as Judeo-Christian or Christ, uh, uh, churches uh, claim to be pro-life. They're adamantly uh, opposed to uh, the death of unborn children. And yet they have 
they're completely oblivious to the bombing of children in places like Gaza City. They, they don't even identify with the two. And you can actually raise the issue with them and say, how can you say that you're a pro-life church? Like the one, Tom, that I was a member of for many years. How can you say you're a pro-life church and you defend the rights of everyone, an inalienable right to life of everyone, and yet when it comes down to the state of Israel, it's okay for them to kill their neighbor's children? How can they shoot their children directly in the faces, sometimes in the eyes? How, how can you justify this? And, and basically, uh, the people in that position... Uh, will will, will bas- basically have to run for cover. They don't have any way to explain that. They simply say, well, those people don't have any right to be there. They shouldn't be there in the first place. They're bringing trouble on themselves. The Zionist idea is grotesque, and what it has grown out of was the creation of a book. And there are, there are many books now that support Christian Zionism. And, I, and, I, and when I say Christian Zionism, it's in quotes. Um, because it's a popularly used term. Uh, but there are many books that support it, but the original book that supported it was actually written about the same time as Theodor Herzl and his crew mm-hmm. were busy putting together the World Zionist Movement. And what it was was an effort to change Christianity in such a way that American Christianity would become friendly to Zionism. In other words, it was a forerunner of the whole neocon idea. So that Mm. the world Zionist movement, we think, I think, is part of my belief, uh, and there's a lot of circumstantial evidence to indicate and prove this, but uh, we think they actually create, help to create the idea of what is now called Christian Zionism in order to control America back about the same time as they were getting this world Zionist movement going. Uh, now, I, I need to say that there are, you, talk, you use the term grotesque, there are two classes of Christian Zionists. There are the leaders, like John Hagee mm-hmm. and uh, the late Jerry Falwell, Pat mm-hmm. Robertson. These are famous names. They are dedicated, financially successful uh, businessmen uh, who have created empires, financial empires as well as empires of uh, huge followings around these teachings, which they uh, pawn off on people. Then there are the millions and millions of voters who go to those churches, support those organizations, and try their very best to remember what this Christian Zionist phenomena really is all about. And most of them can, can, can't even remember it long enough to, to, to quote it to someone else. In other words, Christian Zionism is so grotesque and so unreasonable, so bizarre, that it is very hard to remember. And uh, how it's taught is sort of uh, reserved for the networks that that own big television networks like Trinity Broadcasting Company that has literally dozens, dozens of all day long, all night long, Christian Zionists, one right after another, teaching and raising funds on these networks. So you mm-hmm. have the cult of leadership uh, who, who knows exactly what they're doing, and they are uh, more Zionist, they out-Zionist the Zionists, as you, mm-hmm. as you put it. You're absolutely right. They are more committed. And Ariel Sharon used the term Christian Zionist quite a few years ago, and he used it as a complementary term to describe those leaders like John Hagee, who are his best friends in America. 
mm-hmm. the people that he depended upon. And then you Do have you know, all of the millions of members uh, who are basically victims of all this, and that's the thing I want to point out. And the purpose of our mission is that most of the people who are wrapped up in Christian Zionists are really victimized. Do you think we can call those Christian Zionists less useful idiots under quotation marks? Well, yes and no. The reason we don't want to do that, I don't think, is that we need them. Uh, we, we very badly need to recover about 20 million Christians in America who are voting basically the Israel ticket. Mm-hmm. And I, I think they can be recovered just as I was recovered uh, by a little information at the right time, coupled with circumstances maybe of our hour, things that are going on, Tom, right around us right now, such as the economy, things that are causing people to take a hard look at what they've been taught to believe uh, for a long time. So uh, I, I, think, I think the categories, um, I would say use, useful victims would be a better term because uh, you are victimized when you're in this cult. Uh, you are spending for it. You're mistraining your children. You're teaching ideas to your kids that will not support them in life. Uh, you're teaching ideas to your kids that they will see through before you do, and they'll come back and say, Dad was okay, but he was kind of a religious nut. He was into the second coming. I remember when the, you know, you, you remember we have all the time prophecies of the end of the world. We've had about two in the last, uh, in the last year. Uh, so I think to, we need to be very constructive in trying to deal with Christian Zionists and realize that 80 or 90 percent of them uh, can change in a flash, mm-hmm. and they, they actually can be on our side. And uh, once yes. they do see that they've been deceived, they become very, very committed. So I, I would say we have to be really constructive in, in dealing with them, and, and that's what we try to do. We try to approach it in a constructive way to where we can try to talk to them. It's not easy. Mm-hmm. Charles, let us look at the political ramification of this uh, phenomenon, of this bizarre phenomenon of Christian Zionism. Let me just try to invert my my thoughts a little bit. Like, there is a widespread idea, particularly among some of our sympathizers, our colleagues, and um, about Jews, so-called bad Jews, and so on and so forth. I'm not going to get involved in it, and I certainly, I I personally appreciate your your comments on on your website. You never make any slurs, and you don't call uh, Jews with bad names. You treat everybody very kindly. And it seems to me that you are right, and I'll tell you why. Precisely because it seems to me that the problem are not the Jews per se, Let's just leave aside now some some books uh, by some of our friends uh, that critically talk about the Jewish influence and so on and so forth. But it seems to me that the real problem are indeed those Christian Zionists, because after all, we are not talking about a handful of people. We are talking about the numbers of millions and millions, some of them very rich people. So I guess this is where the problem first needs to be tackled before we start talking about the influence of the Jews, uh, Jewish influence, be it in Hollywood, or for that matter, the high finances. Absolutely, and uh, and actually, there are quite a few anti-Zionist Jews who are showing up, and some of them quite bravely, and, you know, we know, we know their names, and 
uh, and of course there are there are false flags among them too, but uh, we've had quite a few Jewish people support our efforts to change Christian Zionists. We call them vigils. We go to churches with a message. We try to conduct, uh, carry the message to the attendees of the church. We try to tell them, hey, as you walk inside, think about what you're being taught. You're not being taught Christianity. You're being taught something else. Have you, do you realize that? And uh, we, we, we find it to be a very gratifying program. And, and we've had some Jewish, uh, anti-Zionist Jewish people who have come forward and say, we'd like to participate in this. We see the need to change Christianity. But at the same time, like you mentioned a while ago, was it Netanyahu? or some other uh, Israeli politicians, when they make tours in the United States, when they give speeches in Congress, like ben- Benjamin Netanyahu, you know, from the European perspective, this is an ultra-grotesque, you know, situation, where those congressmen try, uh, try to outplaud each other, you know, to make themselves more, more how can I say, uh, Jewish look-alike. And it seems to me that we, we, we need to examine this phenomenon, this feature, specifically when we talk about American foreign policy. And you did write about this, and I certainly would appreciate if you could look at this angle a little bit as to what extent this Christian Zionism legitimizes uh, American foreign policy in the Middle East and in all Israel must come first, or even even when you talk about Obama, let alone when you talk about Mitt Romney and other guys in in the in the ring now, all of them almost unmistakably unmistakably they they have to quote and they have to invoke the, some sort of Jewishness in order to have some extra uh, to have an extra asset, so to speak, in their campaign. Well, it's exactly true, and this is a measurement of how important Christian Zionism has become in America. Uh, uh, the era of Christian Zionism, uh, that Santorum and Gingrich and Romney will all stand up and take turns trying to express that they love Israel more than the others do. <laughs> and, of course, the reason for that is is, is obviously, uh, um, I, I think uh, Gingrich received $6 million from Sheldon Alder, Adelman, who is a radical Zionist uh, in Las Vegas, Nevada, and that's what kept Gingrich in the ring. So you can understand why he lauded Zionism, because he just got $6 million that he had to have from, from a Zionist. Uh, and this man's history is amazing, the things he's done. Uh, the others the same way. And it's not just this election. You go back to the previous election, you had John McCain taking uh, Sarah Palin, this ridiculous female, as his running mate. Why? Because she was a well-known committed and, and outspoken Christian Zionist, and he was trying to find enough Christian Zionist votes to overcome uh, Obama and get himself elected. So it's all about getting elected, and it shows the power of this cult, and I'm going to use that term cult, and, uh, and maybe if we have time, I'll give you just a couple of biblical examples of why they are. Sure. Please, by all means, but, this, uh, is, this, is, I mean, this is right. Christian crucial. Christian Zionism is that important. Yeah, this is crucial for us because I'll tell you personally, I'm not so much obsessed with the Zionism and anti-Semitism and all this. And of course, you know, we know where the problem is. But the problem becomes the real problem when you have those folks who emulate, 
who imitate, who actually wants to be super Jews, so to speak, including you, you mentioned Sarah Paul Pauline and you mentioned Gingrich and some of his, uh, uh, some of his antiques that you simply cannot believe that a gentleman from a, coming from a Christian civilization would, would, uh, would ever say in, in, in such a way. And uh, I would certainly appreciate if you could comment. I mean, you might probably have the insight. Uh, what's the perception of, uh, let's say, uh, Zionists, of specifically Jews, in, in the United States of America when they observe people like uh, Sarah Paulin or McCain and uh, those presidential candidates who are trying to outbid each other in their pro-Jewishness, in their philo-Semitism? Well, uh, of course, a lot of a lot of Jewish people I know resent it. I know a college professor who has an organization here. They resent Christians doing this because when you go and read the books that Christian Zionists read, uh, they talk all about the, the great slaughter that's going to take place in, in Jerusalem at the at the end of the world, uh, at the at the return of Christ, uh, when almost all of the Jews are going to be annihilated. And only a few will survive. Some say the number is 144,000. Others have different numbers. They have their own ways of, you know, leaders have their own ways of coming up with their own story. But essentially, uh, a lot of Jewish people who are sort of serious-minded will look at this and say, hey, these people really can't be our friends. Uh, they, they don't have a, a, a good thought for us. Uh, however, people like Ariel Sharon, the politicians in Israel, uh, and uh, Netanyahu, people like that love the Christian Zionists, because they deliver the votes, they deliver the pressure on Congress. If Israel wants us to bomb Iran, all that they have to do is manage to convince 30 million Christian Zionist voters, as this is the number that uh, is popularly thrown around by the Pew Foundation and other people that take polls, all they have to do is convince them that we need to bomb Iran for religious reasons. And uh-huh. so the state of Israel uses Christian Zionists to put pressure on Congress for war. The Christian Zionist movement is the biggest faction in America advocating uh, unlimited bombing of Islamic states. And it's all wrapped up in the idea that if you really love Israel, then you really must hate all Muslims. And this is Islam- this Islamophobia is a product of Christian Zionism. This is another reason... Tom, why I say Christian Zionism cannot be Christianity. It's -hmm. impossible for it to be Christianity because Jesus was the peacemaker. And uh, Jesus' words were words all about peace, love of brother, even love of enemy. There's nothing about that allowed in the idea of Christian Zionism because it's necessary to follow Israel's whim. And if Israel wants war in Iraq to get rid of their neighbor Saddam Hussein, you will find, and this is what I found, this is what shocked me, one of the the things that awakened me, is that I found that my church, even though they didn't know why they were doing it, was supporting the first bombing of Iraq in, uh, in, in 1991. They were actually advocating, yes, that's okay, it's necessary. We need to set the world straight of Islam. And that was all coming down through Israel's influence through the Christian Zionist movement, percolating down to where it came out in the, the church in Denver, Colorado, and was actually manifest in the thinking of the people who went there. Uh, this is the tragic danger of this movement, is it is it is a war-making movement 
if war is in Israel's interest, they are for it. Is that how you actually explain the uh, U.S. engagement in, in Iraq? In, in, when was that first? In 91 and then uh, 10 years after as well? Do you think well, that there was... The- in, in a sense, of course, we all know about the, 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 uh, the project for the New American Century, the neocon right. movement, which yeah. basically was a, a war for the sake of the economy. A world war-based economy, we need more, it's going to keep the economy going. Gives the Federal Reserve an opportunity to print more money for more war. Uh, drop the bombs on Gaza, drop the bombs on Iran. Uh, so yes, that's part of it, but the, but the, but the, a lot of the public support for that, it did indeed come from the, the Christian Zionist movement in America's wonderful churches. And there is no other organized religion of any kind. There is no other organized group in, in, in America that really supports war. The only uh, semi-organized body of millions of people that is consistently in favor of war on Islamic states or Muslim states anywhere in the world, really, is this movement of Christian Zionism. Nobody else. There's no other public uh, movement. Uh, there are groups like the neocons, who have their own reason for wanting war. Mm-hmm. But no other public movement that I know of. I, I haven't been able to find one. Uh, Charles, uh, let me ask you, I assume you are, you are not just a loner in, uh, in, uh, within your church. Do you have some supporters? Do you have some people who help you out? And uh, what's the, what's the um, uh, result at the grassroots level? I know you travel a lot, you give nice lectures, and you give speeches, and is it picking up, or are we really headed for the real Armageddon? With, uh, with the, uh, well, with well, I think we're fighting. I think we're fighting one of the key battles right now, and uh-huh. that is whether or not we bomb uh, Iran. And I, I really do think that is the conscious objective of the neocon movement. It's the conscious objective of of everybody in the in the in the banker system who's who, who are saying, "Gee, we don't have any good way out of this." financial crisis, what we really need is a bigger and better war. And then, of course, you have uh, the state of Israel saying we need to get rid of all these Islamic states around us who just happen to have a lot of oil. Uh, and uh, you, can, you, can, you can see through where that goes. Uh, so I, I think we're at a key point right now where we are we're being tested. Can we, uh, can we people of peace actually uh, uh, put enough pressure on our leaders so that they don't dare bomb Iran. I believe that's a, a test of our moment. Uh, as far uh, how, as, do, how does this test work at your grassroots level with the people you meet, with your, with your Baptists, uh, with your Christians, your friends? I, 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 think people, uh, I think people are sick of war, and uh, individuals in all places are tired of war, and uh, th- that it is a movement that's taking place against war. We saw it in the last election. Obama claimed, you know, Obama campaigned on he's going to end wars, which he didn't do, of course. Uh, I, I think the movement is very natural, Tom, that we're moving away from the idea of war. Uh, as far as uh, success in the Christian Zionist movement, we see a lot of signs of hope in the people who are understanding what we've been saying for a long time and are saying the same thing. Uh, we see conferences being held now about Christian Zionists. There's one being held in Palestine. And uh, I should tell you that the Anti-Defamation League and the people uh, who are in the Zionist movement 
supporting political Zionist Israel are hell-bent on stopping anything that has anything to do with exposing Christian Zionism. It is very high on their agenda. And I can tell you that from my own personal experiences. Uh, my anti-defamation league record is a, is, a, is a mile long. And it all has to do with any performance that, that I get to talk before some major group that is opposing Christian Zionism. Uh, the state of Israel is hell-bent on preventing exposure of Christian Zionism in the Christian churches. They are adamant about it. They, they, it is a very high priority, which you can identify just by looking at who they target. They don't want the exposure of this movement. And I think maybe the reason for that it can be seen if you look back at the careful planning that the Zionist movement put into creating Christian Zionism and fostering it and, and, and uh, making it work uh, all during the 19th, or all during the 20th and 21st centuries, the start of the 21st century. Uh, back in 1908, an author, a, um, a Civil War veteran named Cyrus I. Schofield, wrote a book that became the most famous Bible in the Christian Zionist movement, all the evangelical movement. It was called the Schofield Reference Bible, and it was actually published by Oxford University Press in 1908, and it contains a clear pattern for world Zionism, right, written into the footnotes of this Bible for Christians to read. And then the Oxford University Press came over to uh, New York and opened a branch for the first time in New York. And the branch was open for the specific reason of selling this Bible and giving it away in, um, in American seminaries. And uh, this Schofield Reference Bible, which we talk a lot about in our literature, is the godfather of the evangelical or the Christian Zionist movement. In the Bible, it states that the land of Palestine belongs to the political state of Israel. Now, how did they say that in 1908? Well, they couldn't. They, they updated the Bible in 1967 after the state of Israel was created, and they wrote a footnote into it that said Abraham, 3,000 years ago, gave the land of, the, of Palestine to the state of Israel to, to be theirs forever. This is in the footnotes of a Christian Bible written in 1908 and updated in 1967, owned by Oxford University Press and called the Schofield Reference Bible. We've done a lot of work in unwrapping this, unraveling it. It even creates anti-Semitism as a sin. It says in the Bible that if you don't follow and nations that do not support the state of Israel are anti-Semitic. And then it goes on to say that nations that do not support the state of Israel will be punished. Mm -hmm. They will, will be punished, punished for their anti-Semitism. Chuck, this is very interesting, and hopefully I'll have you next time on my show again. But this is a, a very, very difficult topic indeed, I'll tell you, because we are basically not just talking about the Jews only. We are also talking about those who want to emulate them, as you said, a sect of Christian Zionists. But anyway, thank you very much, Mr. Carlson, for being on the show. I enjoyed talking to you. And folks, until next time, my best regards to everybody, including Mr. Charles Carlson, who was my special guest tonight. Bye for now, folks.
listening. The Sunic Journal with Dr. Tom Sunic will return next Tuesday from 9 to 10 p.m. Eastern U.S. Time. Join us at ReasonRadioNetwork.com.